Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. on comics the podcast where we answer your questions and our own i'm essie fleenor i'm sarah century so we have a question from narrative matters on twitter who asked here's my extremely loaded question is x factor the worst thing to ever happen to the x-men i'm mad about this all over again <laughs> So I think before we answer that question, I think maybe we should list some of the terrible things that have happened to the X-Men. What has happened that was terrible to the X-Men, do you think? Joss Whedon. Oh, Dark Phoenix killed a planet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. X-Men Origins, the movie with sword hands Deadpool. (laughs) Oh, why was that terrible? Just kidding. (laughs) Um, Magic's entire life, Ilyana Rasputin was taken as a child into a hell dimension and raised by a really creepy older devil-ish guy and then just had tragic comeuppance again and again and again in her life. That seems bad. Rain Sinclair's entire life. Yeah, absolutely. Was pretty much ideologically tortured by her really bonkers reverend adopted father who turned out to be actual father and then was adopted by Moira McTaggart which I love you Moira but are you a great mom hard to say hard hard to say hard to say what about every literal fucking future oh oh do you mean like days of future past where everybody is dead or maybe the cable universe where everybody's dead or (laughs) any of the universes where Where literally everyone's dead dead? in like 30 years yeah those all seem pretty rough what about beast in his entirety yeah and his inability to understand scientific ethics or stop bringing people from the past into the future because that works really badly it turns out to be a bad idea oh when emma frost students die again and again. So also Professor X, like, should he be in charge of children? It seems like he shouldn't be. He doesn't, actually, I would say Professor X is indeed one of the worst things that has ever happened to the X-Men. So in consideration of all of these things. Wait, I have one more that I think is pretty good, which is Mr. Sinister, who steals more DNA than 23andMe. <laughs> who stole Cyclops' childhood and apparently just masqueraded as every person that Cyclops knew in his childhood, which is so disturbing. He also clones Jean Grey and made a person named Madeline Pryor, which turned nice. into this whole thing. Wow, that really does loop back around. Here we are. To X-Factor. Is X-Factor. So given that list, Sarah, is X-Factor the worst thing? Yes. So (laughs) also it begins and goes into Inferno and Inferno is legitimately the worst thing, but it's kind of cathartic, but it's legitimately the worst thing. So, I mean, yeah, we had Fall of the Mutants. We had all of these terrible things happen to the X-Men. X-Factor began in 1986. It was a story where they were attempting to bring back the original five X-Men. Oh, how weird. One of them's dead. Didn't she become Phoenix and destroy an entire planet? No, it turns out she was buried in a cocoon at the bottom of Jamaica Bay the whole time. 
time. Because that's what happens. So the Fantastic Four find Jean Grey literally in the same dress she was wearing in Uncanny X-Men number 98 before the Phoenix Saga even happened. She's chilling at the bottom of Jamaica Bay, doesn't remember any of this stuff, and apparently was never Phoenix this whole time. Okay, so then Cyclops walks out on his new wife, Madeline Pryor. A clone of Jean Grey. Who's a clone of Jean Grey. Who gave birth to his child, Nate Nathan. Grey. Yep. Mm-hmm. Who is mm-hmm. Cable in the future, who also has a terrible life. Exactly. But then he's like, you know what? I don't need this wife. I don't need this kid. I'm out. I'm having a legitimate nervous breakdown because I just heard that Jean Grey is still alive. So he goes to find Jean Grey because what else would he do? But then the whole team pose as mutant hunters. So they take on a public persona of being mutant hunters so people can call them to detain mutants. So essentially they're ICE. But if ICE was some resistance organization. Yeah, some weird resistance organization who's a total ruse. And this idea was brought together by the incredibly terrible Cameron Hodge who had a weird hate crush on Warren Worthington III that became this whole thing and now he's pretty much just a head that is connected to a phalanx body sometimes and that's about all we see of him and he always is wearing these weird little glasses regardless of if they're actually necessary or not for his new eyes so he's a very weird creepy dude and he convinced literally the original five x-men to become mutant hunters and they're like, this seems legit. We'll do it. And Warren then one day they're like, ideas. ooh, this feels like a little bit like maybe it's helping the wrong people. And then they figure out that Cameron Hodge hates them all. Warren has his entire wings ripped <gasps> out, very nearly dies by suicide, and then is taken by Apocalypse, given metal evil murder wings. and Turned becomes blue. The most emo of the X-Men ever, who is now in a goth band. Archangel. Yeah, he really likes dancing solo stuff. Is that, a, is that the whole story? Well, then Inferno happened. So no, that's oh. not even remotely the whole story. <laughs> but I would say if we're going to wrap up, what made everything terrible about X-Factor? It's going to have to be the fact that Cyclops really just actively ruins his own life. He's completely flailing through this entire story arc. He's awful to Madeline. Madeline then becomes the Goblin Queen. Which is pretty goddamn amazing. But then she dies by suicide. Pretty much tries to commit emphasize on Nate and brings a horde of hell people to Earth, which is fun. A bunch of appliances gain sentience and start trying to kill everybody in New York City. Uh, Approve. I approve of that story. Yeah, I actually really like that part. And also she hooks up with Scott's brother, Havoc, and makes him dress in a Goblin Queen outfit too. So he's Goblin Prince. Hot. And he is definitely walking around in that same exact pretty skimpy, what we criticized on her because it's obviously sexist, but then you see it on Havoc and you're just like, what is going on with this couple? <laughs> so that's pretty weird. And of course- She's one of those people who's like, my partner must dress like me. Yeah. Is she- it's important to me that you are my goblin prince. So Madeline is really interesting through that whole story arc. She goes from being someone who is actually a really good match for Cyclops and they seem to have a really good relationship. And then Jean comes back, everything falls apart. And then Madeline is left as somebody who was literally created by Mr. Sinister to love Cyclops and Cyclops has rejected her. So therefore she completely can't handle it. And she kind of just goes media for a while, tries to kill her own child. And her and Jean Grey have an interaction where they end up merging. So Jean Grey's psyche turns into 
Jean slash Madeline slash Phoenix. What? Um, which isn't really followed up in the way that it could be, but it's but like just it's done. It's good. It, we got we're it. We're merged. It's fine. She remembers all of the things. It wasn't really her, but it kind of was whatever. So it feels like in some ways X Factor is a creative decision that made shouldn't by, have been made. By editorial. And they wanted to bring Jean back for the 05. Originally they were going to use Dazzler as a replacement, yeah, which that. is a totally different universe. They decided Decided that they wanted the 05 to be brought back in, but you know, the editorial mandate of the time was that Jean Grey had essentially committed genocide on a planet, and regardless of whether or not she was in control of herself, she could not come back and join the X-Men in the way that she had left it, right? Sure. So they decided that they have to depower her a little bit, you know, same typical kind of fridging stories that we see again and again. So she's depowered, but she joins the X-Factor team again, and everybody just doesn't tell her that Madeline even exists for the first several issues. So yeah, everybody's acting out of character. Her and Scott are constantly just having temper tantrums and emotional moments and walkaways and all of that kind of stuff with each other. After the first few issues, it's written by Louise Simonson, and I think that she's a really good writer. But yeah, it's a it's a rough, rough thing that <laughs> happens, and it really dictates what's going to happen for a long time in X-Men comics. So if you didn't like that, I can see why that would have thrown things off for you a little bit. Yeah, it's not a great time for anybody. It doesn't seem like everybody is just being really horribly tortured. I kind of like X-Factor in a weird way, but I have to kind of detach of myself. Yeah, I'm a very strange person. I'm like, oh, Jean's in it. <laughs> Doesn't uh, really matter I what's can happening. Just change all my perspectives because yeah. I got Jean. I yeah. know I get that. I mean, I'm that way with other characters. I'm like, oh, Swamp Thing showed up. I love this issue. Yeah, regardless of whatever you like know, how good or bad they yeah. are. It's just like, oh, I love them. <laughs> I love that character. I guess I'll just read whatever it is. I've definitely waded through some pretty heavy Poison Ivy stuff, but yeah, I think certainly for Warren, Cyclops, and Jean Grey, it was a pretty rough time, and uh, and it really just decided how their lives were going to go for a long time too and I think led to a lot of them just having an ongoing terrible time for decades so yeah I would say that it's pretty rough it's a bad one yeah worst thing yeah probably yeah Yeah. I mean there's other worse things but yeah this is one of the worst things ever all the x-men have ungodly terrible lives but you know we love them so yep we'll keep reading it Question from Kelly. I was at New York Comic Con and taken by the art and creativity of many different stories that don't fit the superhero genre I usually think of when I think of comics. What are some of the best smaller or independent labels to look out for, especially for LGBT content? Thank you. Okay, so I want to start this off just by saying that if you want to look at people who do a lot of independent comic criticism and review, you could look at Women Write About Comics, which is WWAC. They do a lot of review work of comics that are by women, you know, people who are queer, just kind of focusing more on diverse voices. 
and also a lot of independent voices. Also, one of their former editors is putting out an anthology comic that's just all independent creators. A lot of times you have to look around, find Kickstarters and things like that. But I would say just as a starting point, you could always hop in on, you know, women write about comics, follow them on Twitter or whatever, you know, you end up following them on. And they're going to share articles that are going to tell you a lot of the creators that you would want to be checking out. I think that's a super great place to start. In terms of some publishers, I only have a couple, but I want to share. One is Emerald City Distro. It's an indie distribution organization run by Anne Bean. She founded it because she wanted to get stories out. Some of the titles that they have are Heartwood, Non-Binary Tales of Sylvan Fantasy, The Corners of Their Mouth, and The Queer Language of Flowers. So those are all LGBT stories. They have lots of trans, non-binary, and queer authors that they represent, or queer creators, I should say. There's also Boom Studios. They are the people who publish the Steven Universe comic. They have a lot of queer creators and even queer editorial members who work on their publications. There's also Northwest Press, which is a book publisher that they say on their website they are dedicated to publishing the best lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender comics collections and graphic novels and celebrating the LGBT comics community. Hey, Northwest Press, what's up? We really love their work. They also have this really cool comic called Mama Tits Saves the World. That's just one title. They have a lot of great stuff. Again, they are LGBT-focused. And then I just want to share Hiveworks. It's a site that is for web comics. They don't focus on LGBT works, but they do feature some queer works, including the casual hex and the substitutes. So that's a great place to get some web comics. I would also just like to add, not necessarily comics based, but certainly zine and independent and queer based, Wasted Ink Distro out of, I believe, Tempe, Arizona. It might have moved to Phoenix, but I'm pretty sure still Tempe represents. They've been working for a long time. They put together a lot of great zines. They represent a ton of queer artists. They actually have a storefront in town, so you should definitely swing by if you ever get the chance. If you happen to be one of our Arizona listeners, they are are good as far as people who just are queer doing independent writing. So zines are also a great place to always look for that kind of stuff. And you can find online zine archives as well. I also can't believe I didn't remember to shout out Dynamite. Of course. Dynamite does amazing work. They have lots of different titles, but they've put a lot of energy behind two queer titles. In particular, one's Vampirella. Yep. Super amazing. Love Vampirella. Oh God, we love Vampirella. Obsessed. Well, she's the best. And they've got some really cool merch for her right now, which is really dope. Mm -hmm. And then also- A lot of good series just started too. Yeah. There's there's Vampirella and Red Sonia. Yeah. Good stuff. And they also do the Xena Warrior Princess comic, which again, if you have not picked up, please stop what you're doing and go find it because it is truly fantastic. And as we were saying, some of the stuff that we do is just consistently look for the same queer creators that we just want to keep buying. I would say that Teeny Howard is a character that does a lot of queer characters and, you know, a lot of not queer characters too, but has a very good understanding and able to write very well and does these non-stereotypical stories. Absolutely. Marguerite Bennett, if you pick up something of hers, you're going to get to read a queer story, even if it's by a mainstream publisher. Mm -hmm. So we talked on some episodes about Bombshells. Right. Fantastic title. Really interesting. Queered out the wazoo. Yeah, Vita Ayala and then Danny oh. Lore are both teaming up. And those are individually really great writers, but they're doing the James Bond book that's coming up together. So I don't excited. know how queer James Bond is going to be. I'm assuming it's about to be as queer as it's ever going to be. But I'm going to also say that there are people who you totally want to follow because a lot of their work is really good. They do things that are in genre, things that are out of genre, a lot of licensed properties and things like that that are really worth following. 
As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Comic of the Week this week is A-Force. You know it. I know it. Written by G. Willow Wilson, our favorite, artist Jorge Molina, color artist Laura Martin, and lettering by VCs Corey Petit. Oh, A-Force. Yeah, it's almost one of those so explicitly designed to be the thing that I would like to read that it's hard to know what to say about it in a way because this series gives us so many gifts. If you think about the Avengers endgame when, you know, she's not alone. Mm -hmm. Captain Marvel says that and then they all start helping. two-second feminism. Which, you know what? I get that it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were like, it felt like pandering. And I'm like, yes, it you're did. probably right. Still kind of liked it. And I still really like ladies helping ladies. Yeah. 
Not that I'm trying to gender everybody, mm-hmm. but you know. And this is like that with none of the pandering. And it's a series. And so you, you can just get read more the whole thing. And more. <laughs> yeah. And more. And, and a the- lot of different characters, right? So we yes. have, what is it? Medusa yep. plays a good role in it. She's very Great. condescending and fun, the way that I like my Medusas to be. And She-Hulk is in it as a stop treading on me, Medusa, and Medusa won't. Which yep. is fun. Yep. Deuce doing her thing. Really fun dynamic right I don't there. think I should call her the deuce. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Black Bolt won't take too kindly to it, but what does he take kindly to? That's the real question. Captain Marvel's in it. Nico Minoru, who is one Dazzler. of my favorites. Dazzler. <laughs> Such good Dazzler. Yeah. Such Fantastic good Dazzler. Dazzler. Well, we should probably clarify there are two A-forces. Yes. They both start with number one, and they run almost... Back to back. Yeah. One is set in Secret Wars. Uh-huh. So when it's Battle World mm-hmm. and Victor Von Doom is holding reality together mm-hmm. and divides the world into little fiefdoms that he then rules with an iron fist. Which is fun. It's pretty fun. I actually like a lot of the Battle World. Battle World was fun, yeah. Oh, I love Young Avengers Battle World. Oh, yeah. That was so fun. Carol Core was really fun. Oh, Carol Core is so fun. Weird World. Love it all. Honestly, they were all really good. And like bizarre things happened that seems suddenly more palatable mm-hmm. in, you know, like a giant shark flying out of the sky. Normal stuff. This one is set in reality, except one character from Battleworld travels to this reality. And that character's name is Singularity. Mm-hmm. And so Singularity is introduced in the A-Force comics. Love Singularity. Singularity is a universe mm-hmm. shaped like a little girl made of stars. Mm-hmm. And she's so cool. She is really cool. And she also is constantly calling everybody around her out because they don't understand anything. And she is very frustrated by she's it. She's like, you're friends. You're friends. Why are you fighting with each other, She-Hulk and Medusa, my two moms? And we're like, we want to see your moms get along too. It's just precious. Yes. It's so sweet. I loved it. I remember really just being impressed by all of the characters. I was so impressed by Carol Danvers because in this I feel that she always does what's needed to be done and she is the best at keeping the peace amongst everybody. And I like that. I had read this series around the same time that I read Civil War II, so I was definitely ready to break up with Carol. But this was kind of where I fell in love with her again. There's this moment where Medusa and She-Hulk are fighting over who should be in charge. And I think Nico leans over. It might be Dazzler. And I was like, well, don't you want in on that, Carol? And she's like, I'm already the boss of space. I really don't need any more responsibilities. Yeah, Which I feel like is very relatable yeah. as like a very busy person. And it was a nice- It's a Carol she, moment. And she comes across so shitty in yeah. Civil War II. Yeah, so bad. Because she does terrible shit. Just, mm-hmm. just awful, inexcusable. Out and, of character. Yeah. And in A-Force- She's in character she's again. She's in character. And even some of the issues take place- right around mm-hmm. Civil War II. So she's elsewhere making these terrible decisions and then she comes into A-Force and they're brought home in a way where she gets a chance to really reflect on, wow, you can't just condemn someone to die because someone foresaw them hurting people. And everyone's like, yeah, Carol, yeah. yeah. Interesting revelation for you to have this late in life. But yeah, it was interesting to watch because I feel like it's two different characters almost. You're watching Bendis versus Wilson's versions of that character and we don't like the Bendis version at all. And then you have somebody who actually took a little bit of time with the character and wants to have a women supporting women story and it becomes a much, much better story. And it's not boring. I think people... 
you know, certain people <laughs> interpret something that's supportive or feminist or going to be collaborative. Character-driven. Character-driven as like, oh, snooze fest. Yeah. It's like, no, this is brilliant. There's constantly conflict. Yeah. Because they're not the same people. Right. They're all really well-developed as individual characters. And so, of course, Medusa and She-Hulk are going to fight. Yeah. Makes sense. They have sense. too much in common and too much not in common. Yeah, and She-Hulk historically does not like to be told that she needs to show people some kind of extra respect at all. So Yeah, it's kind of her deal. (laughs) Yeah, she really doesn't like that. She's not going to like that. So it was fun. And I love that Nico's like, guys, I'm just trying to make up with my family. Yeah. Can you please not be at this wedding right now? Like <laughs> with a go? giant monster? Yeah. Like I am busy. Yeah. And everyone's like, Nico, too bad. You're never going <laughs> to mend those fences because we need your help. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, fine, I'll say some magic words. God. Quite literally the story of Nico's life. Oh my God, isn't it though? <laughs> but she was really fun and good in this. I thought it kind of was a nice way for me to be able to have a story story with her because I missed out a lot of her earlier development. And this was my intro to her. And Runaways has some great stuff Mm -hmm. and some really problematic and like unfortunate stuff. And so actually this is how I was introduced to Nico was through Uh A-Force. And so now whenever I read or even watching the TV show, which I think is pretty good, I still perceive them through the Nico of Mm A-Force where she's so mature and frustrated and she makes hard decisions. And what I like about all these people is that they're all the strongest. Mm-hmm. On some scale, they are each the strongest possible person. Nico Minoro can say one word and do literally anything, but she can only do it once. Like, that's a pretty amazing power. Medusa's yeah. hair? What the F? And she's a queen. And she's, she's a queen. been doing queen stuff since... She-Hulk? Ridiculously strong. Captain Marvel? Ridiculously strong. Singularity turns out ridiculously strong. <laughs> A universe. Dazzler. Yeah, really comes into power here. Really comes into power. Does some incredible stuff with her powers, which are often played for stupid Yeah, people, oh, wow, you can do light stuff or something. Or they put her on. She can convert sound waves into light. That's kind of incredible. And it's definitely not a one faceted thing it's a multifaceted power Stop you can hating use a that bitch for love and disco you know that's just that's part of who I she love is her. i love disco we also get dazzler thor who mm-hmm. is so cool so cool so cool and dazzler's whole trajectory through this is interesting to me she's more serious than she usually is much more so but also you don't lose the part of her that is fun. You just see how it is on hiatus right now. So that's interesting to me too, because I feel like in some of these, we're seeing the characters, obviously, like they don't know what happened to them before or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So there's memory stuff and it still manages to nail the character's personality while showing them in a different context than what we usually see them. And also it's a very supportive and pro-woman context. So all of that was great. I think that this is, both of the A4 series were really good. Absolutely. Absolutely have to be read, you know, to be believed. (laughs) They have to be, I would absolutely say that both are considered required reading. Yeah. If you like superheroes, if you like shit written by powerful women, if you have any interest in understanding what a feminist utopia might look like, Mm -hmm. read the Secret Wars one. It's really incredible what they managed to do in that space and then to see how it's impossible to have that utopia Mm -hmm. because it doesn't work, right? Yeah. That's life. It's really incredible. I think that both are 
like I said, required reading, but also give you very different senses of the same set of characters or similar sets of characters. And it's interesting to watch Wilson do this work because obviously a lot of us know Wilson's writing from Miss Marvel, which is a very single character driven situation. And we get really inside that one character. We get to experience things from one perspective. And this was a group perspective that brought in a lot of elements from Marvel that don't get seen that often. And it was kind of a different kind of Marvel comic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I thought that all of this was great. And I love that it seems to me at least Wilson has this commitment to portraying teenage girls as powerful. Yeah. And as like people. Intelligent. Singularity. Have depth. Yeah. Singularity is different. Yeah. She's not wrong or bad or inadequate. She's just different. Yeah. And even when the rest of the heroes respond with these sort of, I'm from this universe, you should be different mentalities, Mm -hmm. she doesn't lose that joy and she doesn't lose that curiosity. Right. And she doesn't lose that commitment to like, I'm not going to let you tell me what I know isn't true. Right. Because I know you are friends. Mm -hmm. It gives me all the warm and fuzzies. I just love A-Force. Yeah. And I wish that Singularity was more in the Marvel universe. It seems like that was kind of a Wilson Pet character that hasn't really been picked up on much since Bring then. her back. Bring her back. And yeah, just go read A-Force. I'm sure they have it at your library, probably. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I read it, it was from the library. So yeah. It's, it's also on Me too, Marvel actually. Unlimited. Right, yes. Excellent. Go get it. We have something super cool coming up, don't we, Sarah? Yes, absolutely. What is it? It's going to be a first live podcast recording, which we never did before because it's the first. Ah! (laughs) Okay. I'm so, 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 so excited. So we are having our live recording on December 8th at 7 p.m. at Mutiny Information Cafe in Denver, Colorado. Super excited about it. What are we going to do during that? We are going to talk about comic books, first of all. We are definitely going to talk about conventions, convention organizing. We're probably going to covet my pull list because I'm probably going to have to pick it up while we're there because I buy my comics from Mutiny. Uh, What's your most exciting part of this? Oh my gosh. We get to have special guest Christina Maldonado Badhand join us. Oh, She is a Denver-based cosplayer, comic artist fucking activist she's doing it all she runs cons as like a a female con organizer and she's going to talk to us about what that's like and she is just the coolest this is the first i've ever heard of that but i'm excited if you have questions or bitches on comics or if you're a comic creator and want to send us copies of your work please email us at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com b.tchees O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. Gmail does not like the word bitch, so make sure you leave the I out, otherwise we won't get your email. Remember, there is no I in bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We also have a Patreon, www.patreon.com slash bitchesoncomics, where we have exclusive content. I'm Essie Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. I'm Sarah Century, and you can learn more about me at www.sarahcentury.com. Music provided by Earth Control Pill, which you can find at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. 
Bitches on Comics is recorded and edited by Kate Warner. Learn more about Kate and her band, Churchfire, at churchfiremusic.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hi, listeners, and hello, gamers. It's Mary from the Ops Team at Realm, here with something exciting. First off, remember one of your probably favorite shows from the early 2000s? Yes, of course I'm talking about Firefly. Well, Summer Glau, aka River Tam, is back with an all-new podcast, Control-Alt-Destroy. A video game designer discovers that the game she created has been stolen as part of a top-secret project, and maybe the only thing keeping the world from plunging into war. Nations are competing for real-world resources, and Team USA hopes that bringing in the game's actual designer, in secret, will give them the upper hand they desperately need. But not everybody is playing by the rules. This show is perfect for fans of War Games and Ready Player One. It'll draw you in even if you've never played RPGs. Control-Alt-Destroy is out now and available wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and subscribe or learn more at realm.fm.